Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I've got my co-host, Curtis, here with me today to answer another round of your consistently fantastic mailbag questions. But before we dive into those, I just want to throw out a quick reminder to you guys out there. If you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, our first Scheme Theme Month episode was released on Monday night. The month of June will be Scheme Theme Month here on the Glory UGA podcast. I had an absolute blast putting together that episode for all of you. And the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. I really appreciate everyone who listened to it and especially appreciate those of you who have reached out with kind words about it. If you missed it, we did kick off Scheme Theme Month with a bang by diving into what made the 2021 Georgia defense truly one of the all-time great defenses in college football history. So make sure to check that out when you get a chance. And I will be back next week with the second edition of our Scheme Theme Month, which will be focused on our tight ends and the RPO game. But that is something to look forward to next week. Today is all about your questions. So Curtis, let's go ahead, man, and let's dig right into these. And to kick things off, our question of the day comes from Eric. And this is a, this is a great big picture question, Curtis. I'm very curious to get your take on this because... I think after last year, we might have to have like a a mindset reframing. But Eric asked, is 2022 another national championship or bust season for Georgia? Would anything less be considered a successful season? So, Curtis, I don't know if we went into last year. It's so long ago now, man. I guess it really wasn't that long ago, but it seems like forever ago. I can't remember if we went into last season feeling like it was national championship or bust, but I think at least like, after the Clemson game, I think we all started to think about that at least a little bit. And about halfway through the season, after you blow out Arkansas, if you blow out Kentucky at home on big stages, I think we were all at that point like, okay, yeah, it is national championship or bust at that point. I don't know if we went into the season that way. But is it safe to say, Curtis, do you feel that way going into 2022? I do. I think it's just because you're. it's almost like you're a victim of your success. Because realistically, now that you've been at the mountaintop, anything less than that's going to feel like a failure. I mean, look at all these coaches um, in the past that have won national championships and within a year or two, like Chiswick, Orgeron, people like that are out of there. And I don't think we'll have a drastic drop like those teams have had. 
But the fact is, like, once you've been at the top, your fans then come to expect it. Like, look at Alabama. If they, I know we always talk about them, but, you know, right now they're the gold standard. Um, but, you know, if they even have a two-loss season, like, they are, you know, furious. And right. so I think the more you win and the more you're at the top, it does become it. Because especially in the world of college football nowadays, outside of the college football playoffs, bowl games don't matter. Like, no one really watches them with any interest. Fans. I watch them, but you're right. I, on the national stage, they don't really matter. Yeah, I like, watch them I love football. But that's... Players opt out. All these things right. happen. And so if you're not playing for the national championship – it does feel like a bust. Yeah, I I totally agree with you, man. Um, I absolutely agree with you because I think that's where we are as a program. How do you feel about that, though? Like this idea that now we're at this point after you win the first national title in 41 years that if you don't win the national championship, it's a failure of a season. Like, is that something that you embrace? Do you feel good about that? Are you going to enjoy things as much? Because it's hard to win those things, Curtis. We went 41 years without winning it. So are we sitting here saying that if we don't win a national title, we're it's not going to be – I don't say we can't enjoy it. You still enjoy every game, but you're not going to have that feeling of uh, – the same. I guess the same feeling that you've had in the past watching Georgia play once you realize that, oh, we're out of this thing. Well, it's like Kirby Smart says, and it's one of his cliches, you know, pressure is a privilege. And realistically, yeah. think of all these schools that wish that they every year had the expectations that were actually a realistic chance yeah. for them. I mean, yeah, I, other I totally agree. Like it's Kentucky, a burden, but I, I take it. Yeah, Kentucky, I think they, they ended up 9-3 and three last year, right? And, like, that was, like, a great year for them. And all these other teams that, like, you know, their fans are so happy with that. But, like, that's just not who we are. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's who we were at one point for a while there, but it's not where we are now. It's not who we are now. We have elevated ourselves to a different stratosphere in college football. I believe that. So, yeah, I agree with you, man. Just a couple of things I want to add on here. I mean, you you nailed it here, but like, I, I would say this. I think when we were in the midst of that 41-year drought, which is almost unimaginable now, but we just lived that. When we were in the middle of that drought. We all knew that, obviously, national championship was the ultimate goal. That's where we want to get at the end of the day. But when you're on the prowl, when you're on the hunt to actually capture that first national championship in so long, you absolutely celebrate the steps along the way to getting there, right? Like you can celebrate East titles. You can celebrate SEC titles and BCS Bowls and New Year's, New Year's Six appearances, even if you don't win the title, because all those things represent steps on the path to that ultimate goal. But you're right. Once you reach that goal, your standard changes. And I'll give you another Kirby cliche, Curtis. You're either elite or you're not. And if you are elite, like we all think that we are, then you act accordingly. You act like it. And people, programs who are elite, they are not satisfied with anything other than national championships. And that doesn't mean that beating your rival doesn't matter. I'm still going to love beating Tech. I'm still going to love beating Florida. It doesn't mean that winning the East doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that winning the SEC doesn't matter. All those things are accomplishments that, that, you, that we should still be proud of and feel really good about. Enjoy them to the fullest degree. Absolutely. Life's too short to not enjoy those things. But it doesn't change the fact moving forward, in my opinion, that if we don't win a national championship, it's still going to be, at the end of the day, a disappointment, a disappointment and a disappointing season at the end of the day. And Kurt, I'm going to ask you this. I know you have a couple of Bama buddies. You know, Bama won the SEC last year. You, you brought this up earlier. They won the SEC last year. They beat all their rivals. They had the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. But Curtis, would the average Bama fan, at least the Bama fans that you know, would they call 2021 a successful season? They would try to just because that's who they are. But the fact is, no, because the fact is, if realistically, unless you're at the mountaintop at the end of the season, 
you have a bad taste in your mouth because someone else has that victory. Well, they wouldn't be crying every single day, bawling their eyes out still three months later, four months later, however long later, every day it seems like about, oh, having two receivers or having those guys up, man, you didn't really beat us at our best. They wouldn't still be crying about that if they didn't still feel the way that, hey, it was a successful season for them. Because if it was a, a successful season for them, then they wouldn't have to cry about those things. They wouldn't have to constantly bring that up because it's like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we still beat Auburn. We still won the SEC. We still went 11-1 in the regular season, won most of those games, beat most of our rivals. But that's not their standard. And that's where we are now, too. Our standard is national championship. And I, and I get that that can be frustrating at times because, you know what, we're not going to win it every year. I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and it sucks to say that. I wish we would win it every year, but we're not going to. But I, I still think, and I've said this many times, as long as Kirby Smart is here, we're going to be right there year in, year out, just like Bama has been for over a decade now, just like Clemson has been, well, with the exception of last year. But for six, seven years in a row there, Clemson was there, Ohio State's been there. Just like those teams, that's who we are now, and that's the standard that we need to hold ourselves to. I, I fully believe that. Now, you can hold us to whatever standard you want to, but for me, that's how I'm looking at things. Okay, so that was a great question of the day to lead things off with today. But this next question, honestly, I think could make its own argument to be the question of the day. So we're going to call this like question of the day 1A. Honestly, it just wasn't a football question. We know football rules the world here and the world of Georgia sports. So we went with the football question first, the big picture football question. But... We got some baseball to talk about. I know a lot of you were dialed in last weekend with some Georgia postseason baseball play. We were in the Chapel Hill Regional, but as we expected, at least as Curtis and I expected here on the podcast, we fell short and got into the loser's bracket after an opening game loss to VCU. Ended up knocking the cover off the ball in the second game against a very clearly overmatched Hofstra team. And then we fell just ever so short against North Carolina in the game that would have sent us to the championship series, I guess what you would call, have a chance to at least advance if we would have beaten VCU two in a row there on Sunday and Monday, which North Carolina did ultimately end up doing. But we were robbed of a home run there at the end of the game. Josh McAllister, the ninth inning, we were trying to make a a valiant comeback and we're about to go back-to-back home runs. McAllister hit a, a shot to dead center and give their, I think it was Honeycutt, their center fielder, give him credit, man, went up and made a, a game-saving play that would have sent the game at the very least into extra innings. Now, I will say, people forget about this, we also robbed them, Ben Anderson robbed them of a home run early in that game as well, so if we didn't rob them of that home run, then that would have been a moot point anyway, but regardless, we fell short, and that was very much in line with how the the back half of the SEC schedule went where we just kind of went out with a whimper. And now over the course of the last four full seasons of college baseball, we lost in the regional at home that we hosted in 2018, lost that one to Duke. Then in 2019, we come back as another national seed with top AC, which means if we would have won that regional, we would have also hosted a super regional, but we lost that regional to Florida State, a very hot Florida State team. 2020, of course, there was no postseason with COVID cutting everything short and just killing the world, basically. And then last season, we did not even make the NCAA tournament. And then this season, we come back. We made the NCAA tournament, but once again, for the third year over the last four full seasons, we fall short in a regional. So 
Wayne is asking the question I think a lot of people are asking right now, Curse. In fact, I myself asked this question several times over the course of last weekend on social media. And Wayne asked, with another regional flameout, is it time to move on from Scott Strickland? Curtis, what say you, my friend? You know, I'm not opposed to it. I think the thing is, Strickland has had a long time here. And, you know, he's had some good teams, but I never have thought he's had the complete team. And I think that's always what's going to miss him because he'll have good pitchers. Um, he'll have a, a few good hitters, but he never can put together this team that you know can go out there and win it all. And I think until we get a coach like what you see what Tennessee got with Tony Vitello, who is can really go out there and get after it on the recruiting trail, then we are going to get passed up. I mean, we're already been passed up by Tennessee, and that's a very, very short period of time this happened. And it's all because yeah. you see that recruiting is king, just like well, it is. Well, they got all the right people. guy in there. It's that well, yeah, but realistically, I mean, the guy was known for recruiting. We right. have a guy who's really known for recruiting. And so what did you think was going to happen? And so I think mm-hmm. that right now, until we make some changes recruiting-wise, I don't see big picture things changing either. Kurt, I think you just nailed the second question in a row. Once again, I'm in total agreement with you. I was all over this on social media last weekend watching, I don't want to say it was a disaster, but another letdown, a disappointment. And I, we knew it was coming. We said this on the show last week. Like we didn't think there was much of a chance to get out of this regional. I guess there's always hope, but with our pitching staff and the lack of depth there and the, the issues in the bullpen, it just wasn't likely for us to be able to pull off that regional win. And it's great that we, that we won one game, but you know, it wasn't realistic that we were going to go in there and do it, but it doesn't mean you can't hope. But we, the bottom line is, first, we don't have the players. That's what I was saying all weekend. We were talking. I was discussing this with a lot of our listeners on social media over the weekend, and we we put a poll out there on Instagram. And if you're not following us there, make sure to follow us on Instagram. And just look for Glory UGA Podcast. And I, I basically, I, I flat out said, like, is it time to move on from Scott Strickland? I posed that question, and I believe the final results were 77 percent of the respondents. I know that's not everybody; small sample size, but at least 77 percent of the people who responded to that on Instagram said that, yes, it is time to move on from Scott Strickland. They are in agreement with you. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm done with it, Curtis. I'm done with it. Cause we don't, we aren't good enough. We don't have the players. I absolutely think it's time to move on. It won't be time to move on. We're not going to make a move. He's going to be back next year. Just understand that embrace that it's, it is what it is, but I think it should be time to move on. And here's my thing, Curtis. I'm not sitting here telling you Scott Strickland is a bad coach. That's not what I'm telling you. It's just that I don't view him as the coach to get us to the next level. Is that kind of where you are? Yeah. I mean, it's no, no against him. I mean, the guy's a Hall of Fame ballot now. Mark Rick was a, I think he was a good coach. That but, is exactly what I was going to say. Yep. But he lacked, he just wasn't up to the par in what Kirby, he may, I, mean, I don't, I mean, we don't know this for a fact, but he could, for all we know, could have, may be a better X and O coach than Kirby Smart. But the fact is, Kirby Smart has the Joes, and that was the difference. 100%, Kurt. 100%, man. Yeah, I had that literally right here next to my notes. It's it's very Mark Rick S, the situation. Now, I would say he, Strickland has had far less success than Rick had at Georgia. Rick at least won SEC titles, but two really good coaches. Um, usually had solid teams, get you excited at least for a minute there, but ultimately leave you incredibly disappointed more often than not. And for Rick, you know, Rick had a couple high points. Obviously, 2002, 2005, 2007, where we almost made that run of the national title game. We hadn't blown against Tennessee. The 2012 SEC title game where, again, like we fell short. A really good team, but we fell short. You, you feel disappointed after those losses. 
And just like with Mark Rick, obviously there was a better option out there in Kirby Smart because look at where our program is now. And that's not a, I mean, I guess it is a slide against Mark Rick. I don't mean it. That's not a malicious slide against him because I love Mark Rick. I love the man. I don't really tolerate much slander against him. I'm just trying to be objective here. Kirby Smart was a better option. And that's undeniable. Look at where we are now, right? Obviously. Just like that same situation, I think that even though Strickland's a good coach, and it's not, not that he's a, a bad coach in any way at all, but I think there's better options out there, Curtis. And to me, it all comes down to recruiting. That is the issue right now. We don't have the players. And I think you have to ask yourself two questions here. When you're, when you're trying to answer this question, number one, what are your expectations for our program? And then number two, once you answer that question, is Scott Strickland the best guy that we could possibly get to help us meet those expectations? And I think the answer, I, my expectations are that we should be contending for College World Series appearances year in, year out. I'm not saying we should win national titles every year. That's not realistic. But there is no reason with the talent that we have in this state, the university that we have to sell, that we should not be in contention for College World Series appearances. That means like winning regionals, hosting regionals, getting a super regionals, having a chance. Curtis, how much college baseball did you watch last weekend? Quite a bit because it's just such a great time to watch it. Yeah, I love it. I, I had a great time. And look, I've gotten more into college baseball in the past couple of years, and I've, it's hard to get into the sport at large. It's more like a, uh, an individual team thing because it's just hard to find a lot of games. It's not like college football where you can turn on any channel on any given weekend and have football in your face all the time. It's not like that for college baseball. I watch every Georgia game. But when you get a chance to actually consume all this national baseball and just have the drama curse, I mean, it's insane watching some of these games where teams are able to just – you're down five or six runs in the, the sixth, seventh inning. You cut, then you turn the channel, you come back, and like all of a sudden like, you're right back in it. Now you've taken the lead because you had one huge inning. It's a ton of fun. I had so much fun watching it. And after we got knocked out, I was jealous, Kurt. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm going to be honest with everybody. I was jealous of all those teams that were still in it, all those fan bases, having a hell of a time in the stadium, living it up, and having and those teams that won have a chance to go to the Super Regional and still have a, a chance to make it to the College World Series. I'm jealous of that, Curtis. I want that. I was excited a couple years back. You know, we were top eight national seeds for two years in a row. And I went to all those games here in Athens, and we never, we, we didn't win either of them. We didn't get out of the regional here at home. That sucks, man. I want to enjoy it like those other fan bases were able to enjoy it. And I, and I know maybe I'm being greedy here because obviously we had that in football, but I'm tired of just like being awesome at football and being pretty good at almost everything else. Like, Football is incredible. Men's and women's tennis has been awesome forever. Swimming and diving, I guess, has been really good. But it's not really a spectator sport. You don't really get to watch that. But outside of that, Chris, like we're just like when you sit there and watch Arkansas, right? Arkansas has I mean, they were good at football, solid at football last year, but elite in basketball, elite in baseball. All these programs are passing us up in all these other sports outside of football. And I don't like it. Like I feel like we've fallen asleep at the wheel. Like we've just been content with pretty good in pretty much every other sport other than football. And I think baseball, that's happened in baseball. And look, I understand, man. Like I get how far we are behind in, in terms of facilities and administrative support of our baseball program. But Kurt, like does that make you feel any better about the situation? Like, yes, we probably have the worst facilities in the SEC in baseball. I, I, I understand that. But does that make you feel any different about Scott Strickland? No, because I mean, realistically, we keep going back to him. But Vitello, Tennessee, Tennessee does not have the best facilities. In no way, shape, or form are their oh, no. facilities that great. They're not LSU. They're not South Carolina. All these other schools that have palaces. Yep. And look, there are other. There are a lot of 
programs in the SEC that have, they do have palaces. I mean, they, they're fantastic. But you're right, Tennessee is not one, guys. If you've been in Knoxville and you've been around that baseball stadium, it is, um, I, I mean, maybe slightly better than Foley, but I don't even know if you can say that. I mean, it's very much on par with what we have. But they got the right guy who can recruit, and look what happens. So I, I understand that makes the job harder, and I think you have to factor that into your calculus when discussing what to do with Strickland. But at some point, I mean, we're, we're going into year nine. Like, are, is it going to be year 25, and we haven't made it out of a regional, and we're still sitting here saying, oh, you know what? He doesn't have great facilities to work with. Like, At what point do you say, you know what? Maybe there's still a better option. I know, I know it's a tough job, I guess, with the facilities, but you also have like a, a ton of talent in state, Curtis. I mean, Georgia, we know we have the football town, but baseball is huge in this state as well. A lot of you probably have kids that play high school baseball, play little league baseball. There's a lot of baseball talent in this state. So, yeah, facilities, I get that, but there's a lot of natural resources in this state to work with, and we're just not getting them. Curtis, in 2022, we had the 35th ranked recruiting class in the country. In 2021, the 30th ranked recruiting class in the country. Curtis, that is on par with Vanderbilt football. Vanderbilt football was 32nd nationally in recruiting last year. That is the level that we are recruiting at in baseball. You just simply can't be good enough. You are not going to be good enough on a consistent basis to try to get into Super Regionals, to try to get into the College World Series, if that is the level you are recruiting at. And I get college baseball recruiting is a little different because how many of those guys go pro, how many actually come to college. I understand that. It doesn't matter. 30th and 35th, when all these other teams in the ICC that we saw last weekend survive and advance and move on, they're in the top 15, the top 10. It's just not good enough, man. It's just not good enough. So bottom line for me, we'll wrap this one up move on. I think we're in agreement here, Curtis. We just don't have the players. We don't have the players to be a legitimately consistent World Series contender. And until that changes, I mean, being pretty good but not good enough is going to be the norm. That's going to be the norm until that changes. So – uh, for me, like I don't see any reason. Like, Scott Strickland has not given us any evidence to lead us to believe that he is going to be the guy to lead us to the next level. Kurt, this guy, I think it's, what, 17 years? I think he's been a head coach. In 17 years, he has gotten past a regional one time. He made the College World Series in 2012 with Kent State, and that's what got him our job. Well, and it's just like realistically, I absolutely hate our – approach at the plate and that one coach will not leave until Strickland leaves so it's just like that like there's a lot of things that like it's what's going to change yeah I mean talk about Corey Collins is a guy that I think can be a really good hitter and he just had took a nosedive in SEC play and one thing that drives me crazy watching Corey Collins hit that dude takes so many good pitches it's insane basically every first pitch he takes like they and I think pitchers have gotten smart to it they just groove it right down the middle and Collins just sits there and takes it I'm like dude you should be crushing those balls absolutely crush them but he doesn't change he doesn't make any adjustments he's, he's a big powerful left-handed batter could be a big time hitter for us has that potential but his approach to the play i think it's just a microcosm is what you're saying there because his approach to the plate is not good it, it's not it's not working clearly it's not working he hit under 200 i think in sec play got benched in the in the in the regional because he's just not making an impact and he's better than that. he's got more talent now I, I think you're exactly right there curtis so yeah i think bottom line um there's a better more dynamic answer out there the question is, are we committed enough to making that happen? Are we willing to pay that, pay for that answer? Because Scott Strickland only makes $600,000 a year. And you, you look at that, you go, oh, no, the results are pretty good, you know, considering that's only $600,000 a year. But when Tennessee's paying Vitalo, like, what, $1.2 million? I think A&M hired Schlossnagel for, like, $1.4 million. And we're paying our dude $600,000, half what those guys are going to pay. How committed are you to baseball? So if we're committed and we actually go out there and pony up and get a guy that can take us to the next level, great. But until that happens – 
I mean, we are where we are. I don't see it changing, unfortunately, and that sucks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, moving on to this next question. This is, a, this is another interesting one from Alexander. Uh, appreciate it, man. Alexander, I haven't heard from you in a while, man. Appreciate you getting back with us here, buddy. Alexander says that it seems like we're going all in for Arch Manning. Obviously, that was the big talk last week, Curtis, over the weekend. Arch Manning being here in town. Big recruiting visit weekend. A lot of guys on official visits. So he says we're going all in for Arch Manning, and it doesn't seem like we're targeting any other 2023 quarterbacks. What is our plan B if we don't land him? Are there other 23 quarterback recruits we're targeting? Would we look to flip somebody or shift focus to a 2024 prospect? Kurt, I think this is a good question. Obviously, he's right. We're all in on Arch Manning. It seems like we're down uh, into the final two with Texas. We'll see how this ends up. You can never, I guess, never actually count Bam out. When they took Holstein, you got to think they're probably out of the running there. At least you would think so. We'll see what happens. But is that something to be concerned about? What if we don't lean him? What if he goes to Texas? Curtis? That's a very real possibility. What are our options after that? I don't think we actually go for anyone else in this class. Um, I think that no right quarterbacks? now. quarterbacks? You know, maybe if we were, got desperate, we'd go into the portal. But, I mean, maybe someone. But I don't think anyone in the, that's a five-star or a high four-star realistically right now is on the, the forefront for us. And I think that's because when you have potentially one of the quarterbacks potentially being Brock Vandegrift or Carson Beck, and then you still have – Gunner Stockton to back him up. That's a decent position to be in where you don't want to run Stockton or someone off and be stuck with a young guy that's unprepared potentially. And I think that's one of the biggest things that they're looking at. I hear what you're saying. And I get that, you know, the class separation thing. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. But Curtis, let's say that we don't take somebody in this class. We go into 2023. You have the Vandegrift and Beck battle. One of those guys loses the job. Isn't it likely whoever loses that job transfers? It is, yes. Um, but that, I think, that would leave us with two scholarship quarterbacks. Well, and that's why I don't – I think that you could potentially see something out of the portal more than anything yeah. because I, I don't know right now. And another thing, too, is like scholarships – I mean, I know you'll – I think you'll get more, but the fact is like you just don't really waste them unless you like get to the end of the class and maybe you can flip a kid from like a school – or a school that's not as prestigious as Georgia. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, you – I. 
I understand the idea of not wanting to t- like to just take a guy to take a guy, just take a warm body that's gonna occupy a scholarship and not really contribute. I get that. I understand that. And I, I think that the portal is a very real possibility here. If we don't end up landing Arch Manning, it might even be a likelihood, you know, at this point, potentially. Here's the name I'm going to throw at you, though, Curtis, a, a name that you're probably very familiar with because he's from our neck of the woods, our old school neck of the woods, not anymore, but once upon a time. Um, Dylan Lonergan from Brookwood High School in Snellville, Georgia, was high on – He we were high on him. He was high on us for a while there. About a month ago, dropped us from his top four, ends up committing to South Carolina. I read that as, okay, he sees the rag on the wall with Arch Manning, and that's probably another good sign for us. This is a guy that we were recruiting pretty heavily. He's a top 100 guy, 6'2", 215, watched him play quite a bit. Really good player. But he's right now going to South Carolina. If we don't land Arch Manning, do we try to get back into it with Dylan Lonergan? We could. I just – that bridge may be burned. You think so? I mean, I just – quarterback's a big ego position. Yeah, it is. I think that's the biggest thing. It is, it is, man. But look, I'll take you back back to the day. Remember Jake Fromm? Yeah. So we passed like when Rick was here, we passed on and uh, you know for whatever you know, we passed on Jake Fromm, and he ends up going to Alabama. Kirby gets here and he's like, "Look, man, like they made a mistake." Now I guess the difference is, obviously, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna have a whole new staff. Right, right. It's not a whole new staff. It's the same guys. It's not somebody coming in saying, hey, dude, they were wrong. I, I totally get that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like you never know how a guy is made up, you know, above the shoulders. Is it is he that ego-driven where it's like, you know what? You didn't want me. You wanted this guy, so I went to South Carolina. My response would be like, well, dude, if South Carolina would could have gotten Arch Manning, if they could have gotten in there, do you think they would have taken him over you too? You know, I mean, that's, that's the deal here. But that's not the way a lot of these guys see it. Or maybe, maybe it's like in-state school. You know, I love Georgia. Want to go there? Have friends there? Maybe a girlfriend going there? I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Maybe the door would be open. It's hard to know without knowing the guy. I don't know the kid. I don't know anyone who knows the kid, so I, I don't know. But it's just a name to watch if you're looking at potential options. I think there's a chance that we try to get back in there. I don't know that for sure, but I wouldn't completely close the door. We'll see how that plays out. It's probably unlikely if we don't land Arch, but I, I think you still have to at least make make that call and and try to get back in there with him and see if you can get a flip there. Now talking about 2024 guys, Kurt, Dylan Rayola is a guy from Texas. who's a five-star prospect in that class. He's a rising junior. We've been recruiting this guy for years. We've been very high on him. He's been very high on us. We were in his top two and three consistently. And then again, about a month ago, we mysteriously drop out of his top three and he commits to Ohio state. Again, that's another thing that I read as a good sign for where we were with March. My thinking was, okay, this guy has been highly interested in us for a long time. We've been recruiting this guy heavily. And now all of a sudden he's just like not even considering Georgia and he goes to Ohio state out of the blue. Like, how does that happen? And to me, I read that I chose to, and this is me speculating and maybe looking at the, the, the glass half full here. I saw that as him reading between the lines or having some sort of inside information that we were in a really good position to land Arch Manning. So therefore he doesn't want to follow Arch Manning with no class separation. So he goes to Ohio state where we can follow CJ Stroud. That's how I looked at that. But Curtis, if we don't land Arch Manning, does that door with Rayola get at least slightly reopened for that 2024 class? I think it could. And like, I'm not saying we'll beat out Ohio state because they're a hard person to beat out for quarterbacks when they have the skill players they do but the fact was i think what stood out to me the most is that we were just completely dropped we went from being the constant team in there to all of a sudden just not even having a foot in the door and so i think that that may have had something to do with it and so i think that would at least allow us to get back in it yeah i gotta say i was 
I mean, when he commits to Ohio State, it's hard to say you're surprised when he commits to Ohio State because you're right. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of top quarterbacks go to Ohio State and have a lot of skill talent around there. The offense is, is set up for you to put up massive numbers. Now, when you, Ohio State quarterbacks at the NFL, historically, they've been largely bust. But, I mean, guys like that don't really look at it. They say, hell, I can put up big numbers and I can play for a big-time school. I get that. But I, I, you know, I looked at it as again, like this is good news for us with Arch. But if we all of a sudden aren't in it with Arch and he goes to Texas, or goes to Bama, wherever, I do think that door could be reopened. Now, it's it would be certainly hard to pry him away from Ohio State. But you got to remember, Curtis, this guy's a rising junior. You have more than a full year, year and a half or so to get back into things with this guy before he actually signs. So I think that's something that to look at very closely. If we don't land Arch, if we don't, especially if we don't take anybody in this 2023 class and we just take a transfer guy that's maybe a, a, a one-year guy, I think that could really open the door for Rayola to come in, or at least get back into the picture with him. Again, you never know. You never know with these guys, but I certainly think that we would kick the tires around on that and would try to try to certainly get back into conversation with that recruitment heading into 2024. So I think those are the two names that I would watch at the top of my head, you know, one in 2023 and Dylan Lonergan and 2024 Dylan Rayola and transfer portal certainly could factor in here as well. There's no doubt about that. That's always going to be a factor moving forward in college ball until they get that thing under control, which I don't even know if they'll ever do. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, Kurt. Next question here. Our man Cliff has got a good one, Kurt. We're going to dig into this one here for a few minutes. Cliff is moving outside of the Georgia stratosphere and moving into just a more of a big picture look on the uh, just the SEC in general. And Cliff asks, who are the most underrated and overrated teams in the SEC East and SEC West going into the 2022 season? So, Kurt, let's take the SEC East first. Who do you see as maybe the most underrated team coming into this season? Um, hmm. I think South Carolina. No, I don't this know. This is a tough I one for me because I think they're all kind of like relatively they're all, properly they're rated. all getting like a lot of pr- a lot of love right now um but i'd probably go with south carolina like i know some people are picking them okay. to beat us but i don't i think across the board they're getting the respect that of course florida seems to always get that like kentucky is getting you're saying they're the most underrated yeah okay all right south Carolina. so all right i'm gonna i'll come back to that because i see a little bit different than you for me, my most underrated team, again, it's just hard because I think they're all like relatively properly rated coming into the year, except maybe for South Carolina. I, I'm going to go with Kentucky. And I know this is, I don't feel great about this answer because I feel like most people think they're going to be pretty good. But w- what I'm doing here is I'm looking at, I've, I've already done this, you know, I did this for betting purposes. Um, I've gone through and I predicted every single game that's going to be played in Power Five this season, every single conference. And so I'm going by like what I my win prediction totals here, and I got Kentucky going nine and three right now. I'm losing at Ole Miss, at Tennessee, and into us. But I mean, I got them winning at Florida. I've got them beating South Carolina. I got them beating Mississippi State. I got them winning some games here. I got them going nine and three. I think 
if I had to handicap it right now, I don't know, man. Like I ha- honestly, I have both Tennessee and Kentucky going nine and three. But I think there's, I think coming into the year, from what I can tell from a national standpoint, it seems like there's higher expectations out there for Tennessee than there is for Kentucky. I think there's more hype there. I do think Tennessee will probably end up being second in the East, but I'm going to go with Kentucky here because I do think they're end up nine and three. I think most people have them as like a seven or eight win team. I got them as a nine win team. So I go Kentucky, but I don't feel great about that. What about overrated, Kurt? Who's the most overrated team? In the I see. League? I'm different from you. I'm going Kentucky because, and I really okay. say that because I'm so tired of all the Will Levis talk. Um, I do think he's overrated. Yes, that, and I think that's really just left a bad taste in my mouth because they're just shoving him down your throat. Um, I mean, I know South Carolina I realistically could also be a good argument for that, but just the whole Will Levis stuff has really left a sour taste for just all of Kentucky, especially when you have Chris Rodriguez. You know, that's uh, suspended. the thing. Yeah. And so all yeah. these things, a lot of people are talking about how great they're going to be another good year. And I'm like, you don't even know if your best players can be playing. That's my that's my caveat with Kentucky is they're so run game driven. And Chris Rodriguez is a beast. He has been for a couple of years now. We know he's been, I think, for the at least the first game or two. And he got in trouble again. So there's a chance he might just be off the team entirely. That has not been made official yet. I don't know what's going to go on there. They're still working through that. There's been no announcement made. But my answer would certainly change if he does not play. If he's not in the picture, then I might say they might fall as most overrated. But right now, I'm going to operate on the assumption he's going to play after those first two games. I think the first two games of the year are, well, shoot, man. If he doesn't, if he's suspended for two games, that's tough because that's at, at Florida's game two. That's tough. So if it's one game, that's one thing. But two games, that's tough. But my most overrated team card, here's where I disagree with you a little bit here. I'm going to go South Carolina on this one. I think their most of their hype is built off of how they finished last year. Plus, you land you land your quarterback in the transfer portal, Spencer Rattler, and people were really high on him, which is a five-star recruit, but he's transferred for a reason because he got beat out and wasn't good last year. But, oh, he was a five-star a couple years ago, so, man, he's going to change everything for South Carolina. And I get South Carolina doesn't really get big-time players at quarterback, so for by their standards, that's a good pickup. And he's better than what they had last year. I will give them that. But you also put how they finished last year in context. Yeah, they beat up on a Florida team that quit. They beat up an Auburn team that had essentially quit. And then they went into the bowl game in North Carolina, who was just not good last year. They had a bunch of guys. Now, Sam Howard to play in that game. But he was in, he, uh, but they, they were just not good last year in general. So I don't know, man. I, I'm not really buying the South Carolina hype as much as some people are. I actually have them going five and seven. I have them losing at Arkansas week two, losing to us. I have them losing at Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky owns South Carolina, Kerr. They own them over the past like seven, eight years. I got them losing to AM at home. They still have not beat AM since AM is coming to the conference. I got them losing at Florida. I got them losing to Tennessee at home. I got them losing at Clemson. I think this is a I, I don't know. I there's no guarantee this team is going to the going to make a bowl. There's no guarantee. And if you listen to the national conversation, it's not a matter of are we going to make a bowl. It's a matter of how many wins can South Carolina get this year. Can they beat Georgia? Can they contend for the SEC East? Can they contend for second place in the East? And I don't think they're there yet. I don't. I know the hype is there. I know people like Shane Beamer as a young coach. I And maybe in a couple of years, I just I don't see this year being the year. I don't think that Spencer Rattler is going to make that much of a difference to bump them up to being like a true contender, which some people are suggesting they're going to be. I just don't see it. I don't see it. All right, moving to the West here, Kurt. Who do you see as the most underrated team in the West? Ooh, underrated team. I'm going to go Ole Miss. Okay. And I think that's Why because they really revamped their offense with a lot of transfers. You like the Jackson Dart transfer? 
I do like the Jackson Dart, then getting Zach Evans if he can stay out of trouble, which I realistically think that Lane Kiffin allows you to practically do anything and stay out of trouble. He'll look 20, 20 yards in the other direction. He will not. Yeah, especially compared to what you had in Gary Patterson. So um, yeah. I think that they may be the mo- most underrated team. That's a good call. I like that one. I'm going to actually stick in the state of Mississippi, and I'm going to go Mississippi State. Now, here's the thing, Mississippi State. Their schedule is brutal. I mean, this is a tough-ass schedule. I mean, it's 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 a top five toughest schedule in the country. I mean, you've got I mean Arizona sucks, but you're at Arizona. You got at LSU. Uh, obviously, you have A and M and Arkansas. Got them back to back. Both those games, both those are home games. Fortunately for them, they go to Kentucky, which I think is going to be a pretty good team. Obviously, Alabama is at Alabama, and uh, then you got Georgia on your schedule. So you have Georgia and Alabama on your schedule at LSU, at Ole Miss in the season. That's a tough schedule, man. So. I don't know if their record will show it as much. I have them going eight and four, but I think this Mississippi State team is actually going to be pretty good. They're top 20 nationally in returning production, according to Bill Connolly's numbers. They are one of only seven teams to finish inside the top 50 of Bill Connolly's S&P Plus last year, and I put a lot of stock into that, and then open this season in the top 30 of returning production. One of only seven teams in the country that can make that claim. They got a lot of talent returning on offense. You got Will Rogers coming back. who's going to put up massive numbers. He's a good quarterback for them. And on defense, they have, I think, like 85, 84% of their, of their production from last year returning. And they were good defensively last year. They were like a top 30 caliber defense last year. I think this is a really, really good, talented team. Unfortunately for them, they just don't have the overall talent to actually truly contend in the SEC West. I think they can get to eight wins. I think most people are looking at them. I think the over-under win total, because I almost bet on them to go over six and a half wins. I think it's what it was. But I backed off the last second because the schedule is so tough, man. So tough. But, I mean, if the win total is six and a half, so your expectations are six, seven wins, I got them going eight and four. Uh, you got the quarterback returning. You got the offense coordinator returning. You got Mike Leach coming back. You got the defense coordinator returning. I think this Mississippi State team is going to upset somebody. I just hope it's not us late in the season. So I'm going to go Mississippi State here as the most underrated team in the West. And, Kurt, who do you see as the most overrated team in the West? Texas A&M. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement here. Why Why do you see A&M as that team? I mean, Max Johnson's your quarterback. Um, Maybe. To, yeah, he's supposed to be potentially be the savior. Um, great recruiting class. So now everyone's talking about, about A&M. They beat Bama last year, but yet still finished 8-4. and four. So I, I just – I have to right now. I think they're the hot, hot topic that everyone wants to talk about. Um, but I just don't see them playing that well. Well, I mean, it, you get this great recruiting class. It's awesome, and it was. I mean, it's on paper the greatest recruiting class in all in the history of college football of all time on paper. And those players, if they stay, they're going to be good. Those are some really good players. But are we expecting all those guys to be major contributors in year one? That's just usually not how it works in college football. Like those guys will be good, but give them a year or two. I don't think this the year, I think this is a year early on AM. They still have some talent. Devon A. Chain at running back is a really talented back. I really like him. But you're right, Curse. The quarterback situation is completely in flux right now. We don't know who that answer is going to be. If it is Max Johnson, like you said, if it ends up being Max Johnson, like that's the dude. That's the dude that you're going to win the SEC West with. Like I, I just don't see that. And like, that's what AM fans are looking at. They, they think that they should be contending for the SEC West this year. They believe that. And I think they'll probably win eight or nine games, but I don't see AM as some elite team. Like I think a lot of people in the national media are kind of projecting them to potentially be this season. So, no, I don't think they're going to fall flat on their face and win like six or seven games. But yeah, I think eight or nine wins is probably the ceiling for this team this year. And I think that's probably going to leave a little bit of a sour taste in those AM fans' mouths. We'll see how 
how long it takes them to jump on Jimbo if they don't actually start doing something with this talent. All right, uh, moving on here, Curtis. Uh, Reggie, another. it's another one, man. We haven't heard from Reggie in a while. So, Reggie, welcome back, man. It's good to hear from you, buddy. And Reggie asked, if you had to choose one, what single area must we improve dramatically this season in order to make another natty run? And this, Curtis, I had to think about this. This is a tough one for me because we were really good last year. I don't know if you guys know, we, we won the national championship. So I had to think, okay, what is that glaring weakness? So I'll get to mine here in a second, but I'm going to let you go first. What do you I'm see yard, in that one area? Yards per carry. Mm, okay. Um, or because, I mean, I well, my thing is we just didn't have enough explosive plays out of the run game, which is, I think, one thing we really missed last year. It's been a couple years. Really, I mean, I, I would say 2020 and 21. You know, Swift was that guy. But even Swift, Curtis, in 2019, with the issues we had throwing the football, all the injuries to the receivers, we were seeing so many stacked boxes and stacked looks that he had trouble breaking those long runs. He, you can see he was frustrated in 2019. So I'd really say maybe since 2018, since we've had, like, those consistent, like, break-off runs, those home-run-type runs. Like, we had those in 17 and 18 relatively routinely. But I think it's been about – two or three years at least since we've seen that on a consistent basis. And I, I agree with you. I think we need to find a way to get back to that. I think one thing that we can do to kind of help ourselves there is to lean more on the RPO game. We'd certainly run RPOs. I think we need to do more pre-snap RPOs where we're reading the box count because I think we run into stacked boxes too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think when, when you look at the – a lot of teams – what. Some of these teams that put up really big yards per rush numbers and hit some explosive runs, they only run the ball when they have favorable numbers in the box. They do a box count pre-snap. The quarterback reads the reads the numbers. He says, okay, how many guys are in the box? And do we outnumber you in the box? If yes, we run the football. If no, we throw the football. And they give them the freedom to do that. We don't really do that. There's like We do a lot of post-snap RPOs, and we do some pre-snap stuff. I'm not saying that we don't. We do. We'll talk more about that next week. But we don't do enough of that. Far too often we run into stack boxes where we are outnumbered and you're just not going to find consistent success doing that. You're just not. So I think that's one thing that we could do. It's a, an easy adjustment that could really help maybe push those numbers up and bring bring back some more explosive runs. And I think a guy like Kenny McIntosh has the ability to be a guy like that. So hopefully we'll see more of that. I'm going to stick here, Curtis. My my one area is related to the to the run game, intimately related to the run game. I'm going to say the offensive line in general. I think we need to be better there. And I'm not saying that we weren't good there last year. We were. But again, guys, let's go back to the first question of the show that we led with. The standard now is national championship good. I I, I guess we were national championship good on the offensive line last year because we won the title. But I, I think so. there's – At times we weren't. Yeah, I mean, it's like I don't think that offensive line is the reason we won the national, national championship last year. But I guess, like, do we have to say they were national championship good since we won the national title? Like, I don't, I don't know how that works. But I think we have room to improve there, significant room to improve. I think we were good, but certainly not great there last year. And I think and we've talked about many times throughout the offseason with some of the losses that we're going to have on defense, we're going to need the offense to take another step forward this year, even though the offense was elite last year. There's no doubt about that in my mind. But we need to take another step forward this year. And how do you do that? I think the offensive line will be a big part of that. And I do think we have some pieces. If we can get Tate Rattledge back healthy, we can see Broderick Jones really step up at left tackle. If Amarius Mims can find his way into the, the, to the lineup some way, somehow. Cedric Van Pran taking another step forward. Warren McClendon coming back basically as a third-year starter. I think there's a really good chance that we will improve on the offensive line this year, even if you lose a guy like Jamari Salyer. I think there's a good chance that this will improve. I think we need to. Because, Kerr, I think you're right. We need to be more consistently explosive in the run game. 
I think the offensive line is a big part of that. Now, another big part of that is, you know what, Curtis? Offensive line, I'll stick with that. Let me throw a bonus one in here. Because going back in my offseason film study, one thing that drives me absolutely freaking insane is our perimeter blocking. Our wide receiver blocking was oh, garbage yeah. last it year. Was, it, that's why it was so nice to have George back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And George doesn't get enough credit for that. George is a very physical blocker and a willing blocker. But we were flat out garbage on the perimeter last year blocking. Our receivers were bad at it. I mean, very, very bad at it. And I know that you know we had a lot of injuries there. And I know people talk about Cortez Hankton wasn't a great recruiter. That's why he moved on. Dude, my biggest issue with Cortez Hankton wasn't recruiting. It was the lack of our the lack of blocking ability on the perimeter. It was just subpar. It simply was not good. There are a number of plays, Curtis. I mean, I can roll off just on top of my head 10, 15 plays right here, right now, where I can say they could have been either massive gains or home run touchdowns that were like five or six yard gains, but because solely because our receivers missed blocks, didn't play with proper leverage, didn't block the right guy, didn't block anybody at times. I mean, it was terrible last year. So if we can just take slight step forwards there at that at, at, at that role for receivers, then that could be a big catalyst for getting our running game back on track and hitting those explosive runs. I do think that was a major factor last year. If we can fix that, that'll be that'll be big for us. Um, all right, guys, we are actually running out of time here. We had one more question. Paul, I'm so sorry, man. I know we didn't get to your question last week either. We were saving it for the end of today's show, just like we were last week, because I think it's a really fun, great question to end the show on. But I promise you, my friend, we will get to that next week. I promise you, guarantee it's happening. We might even move it up a little bit on the list just to make sure that we get there. And that goes for all of you guys who are also still on the list. We got these questions. We got a little list here. We're trying to make our way through them. If we did not get to your question today, I promise you we will get to them. And for those of you who have questions that you have not sent in, please feel free. Send those questions in. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can DM us. You can just tweet at us directly. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us those questions on Instagram, DM, whatever works for you guys. We will uh, gather all of them and we'll put them on the list and we will get to them as quickly as we can. And some of them, I know that sometimes we get a question and then we like move it up the list and immediately put it on the show. And that's because usually it's a topical question that needs to be talked about right now, or it kind of loses its relevance. Or if it's a really good kind of big picture type question, we like to also throw those questions up here as well. So send those in and we have plenty of time to cover them the rest of the summer. But thank you guys for listening. We always appreciate that. I will be back next week with part two of our 2022 scheme theme month focusing on tight end play and RPOs, kind of the interplay of tight ends and RPOs. We'll have a lot of fun with that. But have an awesome weekend, guys. Enjoy whatever you're doing. Have a great time. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>